Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Over the last number of weeks, uh, we have been asking the question, how does the message of the gospel change the way that a person lives? How does the message of Jesus make any difference in the way that a person lives? And we've been asserting that it should. Uh, And that's how the Bible itself speaks about it. That those who have come to believe in the Lord Jesus have moved from death to life. Uh, They have been made alive uh, by the grace of God. But Paul also explains that those who have come to believe in God's grace, it, it transforms the way that they live. That's why Paul said that they are to set their minds on things that are above. That they are to live with reference to the fact that Christ has ascended into heaven and that Christ will return. Uh, that their, their Savior is Lord now and that their Savior will return. And that is to be a paradigm for all of life. They now live their lives under his will and with the hope of his return. And so Paul has been explaining how all of what God has done now shapes the way that they live. It would be false then to come to the Bible and to just think that the Bible is just a moral code, that it's just a bunch of practices uh, that people do to feel holier than thou. Rather, it is the transformation of God's spirit in a person as they come to know the living God. That's why Paul is saying, therefore, so often in Colossians 3. He's anchoring everything on what God has done and now how it is to shape the way that they live. And much of what Paul has been saying in this chapter, you notice that he's been saying that it involves how we live now in light of God's grace. They are to put off certain uh, sinful vices, sexual immorality. They are to put off the anger, the, the malice, the slander, uh, the obscene or the abusive talk that once characterized their life. And now they're to put on the likeness of Christ, seeing that their life is hidden with Christ. They are in Christ. Their life belongs to Christ and is found on the basis of Christ. They now are to resemble Christ's likeness in the way that they live. They're to put on humility and kindness. They're to put on patience and compassionate hearts. But notice that so much of Colossians 3 here has been talking about very generally, how do we treat one another? How do Christians live in this world? And Paul has been arguing there's a certain Christ-likeness a certain aroma about how they are to live that is to characterize them. But this morning we are now coming to a new section. Uh, We're coming to a section, verses uh, 18 into chapter 4, down to verse 1, a section that is dealing with uh, a more narrow aspect of our life. How does the gospel actually shape the way life is lived in the home? Uh, Sometimes this is called the household codes. And in these verses here, you'll notice that uh, Paul is talking about different spheres, different relationships that exist in the home. The relationship between husband and wife. The relationship between fathers and their children. And the relationship between masters and their servants. And Paul is going to comment on how the gospel uh, shapes 
every aspect of our life, including the everyday aspects of home life. It's, it's worth noting that Paul is not the first person to talk about these spheres of relationships. Um, there are many people, many philosophers, many writers from the ancient world who commented on how the home is to be worked out. What, what should be uh, characteristic of the relationship between husband and wife? Uh, what should be the relationship of parents and children? What should characterize the relationship between masters and their servants? Uh, you can look at many of the Greek philosophers, people like Aristotle, and they would comment on this. But as we come to look at this passage this morning, it's not that Paul is being novel and talking about these relationships, but rather Paul is now coming to these relationships and saying we need to look at them through a Christ-centered lens. We need to look at them through the lens of the gospel. And when we do, it changes everything about how it's worked out. And so this morning, we, are, we want to zero in first on the, the relationship between husbands and wives to see how marriage is shaped by an understanding of God's grace. And we want to see that because God's grace has been known, made known in the Lord Jesus, husbands and wives are to honor the Lord Jesus in the way that they treat one another. We want to then uh, just uh, uh, restrict ourselves this morning to verses 18 and 19. And we want to think about these two verses in two thoughts. We want to think about the calling of wives and uh, the calling or the responsibility of husbands. Well, first, uh, we see the, the description that is given uh, to wives in verse 18. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The word submit uh, is a word that is going to generate all kinds of uh, uh, responses. But it is a word that uh, means to come under the authority of another. Uh, that is how it was used outside the scriptures, but it's also the way that it is used in the scriptures as well. Uh, Paul will use the same word elsewhere, uh, speaking about the Lord Jesus. Uh, in Ephesians, he will say that God has put all things under the feet of Christ. Uh, he, he uses the word God has submitted all things under the feet of Jesus. Meaning by that, that when Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and that he is now reigning with authority over all things. All things have put, been put under him as the mediator, as the redeemer king. And so Ephesians and elsewhere in scripture, this idea of submission is recognizing an order of authority. It is recognizing that there is an order to how relationships are to be governed. And Paul is using that same language now as he comes to the sphere of marriage itself. Now that uh, idea um, will offend and upset many people. And maybe it upsets you this morning to hear this language of submission. Submission sounds so demeaning. Uh, it sounds offensive to us because we don't like the idea of coming under anyone's authority. Uh, we think of liberation as being free from any restraint. And we think of asserting oneself as the height of uh, one's own dignity. Uh, to assert oneself is all important. 
But as we come to think about what Paul is saying here, what the scriptures are saying here, under the leading of the Spirit, it's important that we dissect what is being explained here about submission. One, submission is inescapable. Every one of us lives in submission. We live in a social world where we relate with other people. And the only way in which the whole is going to flourish is if we organize and recognize order in society. When you leave this place, if you are driving home and you see blue and red lights flashing in your rear view mirror, you pull over. Not because you think the police officer is greater or more important than you, but because you recognize that for the good of society, for the ordering of society, they are in a position of authority and that you are to recognize that authority by yielding uh, to their, their, their lights. You're recognizing authority and order in society. So we all submit. Every one of us is going to submit in different relationships, in different spheres. Again, that's how the scriptures talk. Uh, Paul will say elsewhere uh, that let every soul uh, submit to the governing authorities. The Apostle Peter uh, will say in 1 Peter 2, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as those who were sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who good, for this is the will of God. So the first thing we have to realize is that simply talking about submission is not a hierarchy of superior and inferior. It is simply a recognition of order in society. It is a recognition of order for the well-being of all. And we all, in some capacity, in some relationships, submit ourselves to authority in, uh, in life. The second thing to realize as we think about this idea of submission is, is that submission does not imply loss of voice or of personality. When Peter said that, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, whether to the king or to the governor who is sent to punish the evildoer. When you stop and think about what Peter is saying, we are to yield to those who are in positions of authority in our civil sphere. But that doesn't mean that an ordinary citizen can never object to or appeal to their governors or to correct their governors about the counsel that they're taking. In fact, quite the opposite is the truth, isn't it? An ordinary citizen's duty is to make sure that their governors are informed so that they can make wise and good decisions for the well-being of society. And so uh, there is uh, a recognition that submission, even our language of submission, fosters and promotes open communication. Uh, this is something that Nancy Piercy uh, helpfully points out in her book, uh, one of her books. Uh, she says that when we talk about submission, we use it in our common day language with the idea of open communication. If you think of a lawyer, if you think of a consultant, if you think of a scholar who's writing some report and then they're going to present that report, what do they often say in their, their very language? I would submit to you the following. What are they saying when they say that? I submit to you the following. They're saying that I am, I am offering this information to you in order that you can make the best judgment possible. 
They're wanting to inform another person in order that they know uh, all the facts, in order that they can come to a right conclusion. And so when we think about submission, it doesn't have the idea of being passive or the idea of having no voice, but rather it is the idea of fostering and flourishing uh, the whole by being actively helping towards that end. The third thing that we should realize uh, about this is, is that submission is not only something that is practiced uh, in our society, but it is something that can also mirror and reflect the glory of Christ. The Gospels tell us that Jesus himself submitted. We, we are told about how Jesus submitted even to his earthly parents. You remember when he went to the temple and his parents came back looking for him uh, and Jesus had to tell them, did you not know that I would be about my father's business, that I would be in my father's house? Uh, but then it says, and Jesus submitted to his mom and his dad. He recognized their order, their, their authority, even though they themselves weren't perfect. But the Gospels also tell us that Jesus ultimately is one who submitted to the will of his father. Uh, and this is where our understanding of submission can really change. This whole language of submission is going to be looked at with suspicion as long as we look at it as a, 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 an aspect of power and dominance. If we're just looking at it as who has control, then we're going to look at it as through the lens of human nature in a very selfish orientation. But what we see when we come to the gospel is a very different idea. And this is why Paul is saying, set your minds on the things that are above. Let your way of thinking be informed by what you know of Jesus. And let your understanding then reflect that in the way that you live. Jesus himself was the one who said, not my will, but your will be done. That he submitted unto the will of the Father. And the end result is, is that he brings the forgiveness of sins. His end result is, is that he actually blesses the order that God has created. That he causes those who were dead in their sins to be made alive in Christ. That by submitting to the will of the Father, it actually brings a blessing to the whole. The honoring of God's order uh, brings life to those who were dead. So now as Paul addresses these wives, he is uh, telling them, those who have been made alive to God's grace are to set their minds on things that are above and to submit to the Lord's order from creation that the wife was to be a helper to the husband. Think about what Paul is saying here. Sin is something that has come into our world. Sin is touched on every relationship of life, including marriage. Marriage was designed to bring one fleshness, a unity that is distinct from any other relationship, a harmony between two people where they become one, they are united. And yet sin penetrates even that relationship and, be, and can divide people. But what Paul is saying now is for those who have been made alive to God's grace, those who have been transformed by the Spirit, who are now setting their minds ordered by the Lord's grace. Paul is saying that where sin brought division, God's grace now can realize that original order where unity, one fleshness of harmony comes to fruition. 
husbands and wives can fulfill their creation mandate as the wife helps her husband, not from a position of suspicion, but now as an act of honor to her Lord. And so here Paul is uh, shaping their understanding by looking at all things in light of Christ. That's why earlier in verse 16 he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul's not just meaning there, memorize lots of Bible texts. What Paul means is he's saying, be so saturated by your understanding of Christ that it, it just shapes the way that you're living. That when you think about bearing with one another, as you think about forgiving one another, as you think about patience, as you think about humility, you're seeing this is actually how I'm to live out my life in my relationships, including with my spouse. And so Paul is bringing these things very concretely down to the everyday uh, issues of our own life. This is why uh, Paul uh, anchors them back in the word. They need to be directed by the Lord's revealed will. So Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands. He's saying something about an order that God has established. The woman in the beginning was given to be a helper fit for the man in order that the man might fulfill his calling. That as they work in conjunction with one another, with one common goal, they will flourish. Sin brought that division. But those who are being changed by God's spirit no longer are governed by an air of suspicion, no longer governed by uh, an air of selfishness, but they should be directed by the Lord's will. And the wife here is willing to fulfill that calling of helping her husband. But you notice here that the, the calling isn't absolute. It says, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You could translate that because it is fitting in the Lord. But the ordinary way of understanding this phrase would be rather an expression of the manner in which she is to submit. Uh, It is describing the way in which she submits to the Lord in a way that is fitting to the Lord. Her Her submission then is governed by the will of the Lord and is ultimately an act of obedience to the authority of the Lord Jesus. Here is one of the key differences when we come to the Christian understanding of marriage. Aristotle, lots of people would talk about husbands and wives and how they should relate to one another. But here, Paul is highlighting something of the Christian understanding of the role of of wives in particular. No, No pagan household code gave wives, children, or slaves any reason to disobey their head. They gave no reason for which they would object to the direction of their husband, for instance. And the reason is simple, because there was no higher authority in the home. It was just a duty that was imposed on the wife. She was supposed to act a certain way because the husband is the governor. But here, the wife's submission is an act of acknowledging the lordship of Jesus in the way that she relates to her husband. One of the things you notice in Colossians is just in these verses, these few short, short verses dealing with the household, Paul will mention Jesus as Lord eight times which is actually half of all the times that he does in the whole epistle of Colossians. And that's done on purpose. 
Every time Paul talks about a relationship, whether he talks about the husband or he talks about the wife or he talks about the children or he talks about the masters, he keeps anchoring it back in about the Lord, speaking about Jesus. Everything is framed by your understanding that Christ is Lord reigning on high and that Christ is judge who is returning to save. That is to shape the way that they live. And so here there is this framework for understanding the wife's submission. It is ultimately an act of obedience to honor Christ. It is a way of actually showing the glory of Christ, who was willing to submit himself under the will of the Father. There is then limits to her submission. Uh, she is not to be led in sin, uh, but rather she is always to honor her Lord and Savior. But we, as we think about husbands and wives, uh, marriage inevitably involves a relinquishing of independence. Marriage is not simply two people living together and pursuing their own goals, but rather there is a, a, a giving up of, of self-focus in order to aim at something greater. And for, for wives or for those that are aspiring uh, to be married, one question that we need to ask is, do I want to follow this man? And can I trust him in the way that he would lead? That's, that's what marriage is aimed for. It's saying, I want to help in this cause. As, as, as a man seeks to honor the Lord in his life, I want to support him. I want to help him to that end. We have a common aim that we're aimed at. I will, I will counsel him. I will, I will support him, but I will also be submitting to that aim as he leads. And that's one thing that we need to be asking ourselves in a marriage relationship. Do we have that common aim that unites us and that, that, uh, that expression uh, of submission to that uh, in our lives? And for men, uh, men uh, should be asking themselves, are we the kind of men that a spirit-filled woman would gladly submit to. Is there anything about the way that we conduct ourselves that would give air of suspicion or of selfishness? Or are we living in a way that shows the aim to honor the Lord above all? So we have the calling of wives here, a calling of submitting to their husbands as a way of honoring Christ in a way that is fitting in the Lord's sight. But there's also the calling of husbands in verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Just as a wife is under the authority of Christ, so too the husband is also under the authority of Christ. And you might expect that if Paul said wives are to submit to their husbands, you might expect the corollary to be husbands rule your wives. That's not what Paul says. The husband's job is not to demand submission from his wife. The husband's job is to love his wife. The husband's job is to care for his wife, uh, to show forth the love of Christ in the way that he lives. He's commanded to love his wife. That's going to sound strange to our modern ears because we think of love as just a feeling. People talk about falling out of love. And then when they fall out of love, when they don't have the same feelings that they once had, they feel like the most honest thing they can do is to simply go their separate ways. 
But you notice that when the Bible talks about love, love is a commitment of the will that is expressed in actions. That's why Jesus could say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It is a commitment that governs how one lives. It is a commitment that flows into action. And those actions cultivate and protect the feelings. But love is governed by something more binding than something as fluctuant as our feelings. And so here, Paul is telling husbands of their responsibility. They are commanded to love their wives. They are to show that commitment uh, towards their wives uh, to care for them. Again, uh, this is uh, showing a concern for their wives as they would be concerned uh, for their own needs. That expresses that one fleshness. The, the two become one. They are just as concerned for their wife as they would be for their own self. But more than that, the husband's calling is to show or to picture their understanding of the love of Christ for his church. The scriptures tell us that there's a mystery behind marriage. That, that marriage is meant to show forth the love of Christ for his church. And so as here it says, husbands love your wives. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved his church. And gave himself up for her in order to sanctify her. Husbands are to have a sacrificial love. That is willing to, to sacrifice themselves in order to bless their wives. They are to lay down their own interests in order to build up uh, the interests of their wives. That's what Paul goes on to say in Ephesians. They are to love their wives by nourishing and cherishing their wives. To nourish means to nurture or to build up. To cherish means to comfort and to take care of. And so just as Christ's love was a way to sanctify the church, to cleanse her in order that she might be presented to him in splendor, a husband's wife is also to have a goal towards it. Whenever I do premarital counseling, Inevitably, we will talk about the vows surrounding a marriage and coming to the language of to love and to cherish and to submit. That is going to generate a lot of activity. What, why should a wife submit to her husband? And it'll open up all kinds of uh, discussion. But another part of premarital counseling uh, that is a lot more attractive, perhaps, to talk about is this idea of a goal. Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her to sanctify her, to cleanse her, so that she might be presented in all her splendor. There was a goal to it. In the same way, a husband is to love his wife with a goal in mind. His goal is in order to nurture her, to develop her, to cherish her so that she knows that she is loved, and so that she is being shaped by the hope of the gospel. So that she is being built up in a knowledge of the truth of God. So that she is steady in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is something that is shaping the way that the husband lives. And that's, that goal is what unites husband and wife. That they are living to show forth the honor of Christ. And it uh, shapes the, the relationship as a whole. 
So husbands are to love their wives with that goal in view, knowing that God has called them uh, to serve in a unique way of building up their wives. One person uh, describes that by thinking about glory, when husbands and wives are in glory, and they can say, I saw glimpses of your splendor on earth, but now look at you. That's what marriage is. It's, it's goal-oriented. It's more than just a present experience. There's something transcendent about it that is aimed at the future, showing the power of Christ in the way that we live our lives. It's not governed by suspicion. It's not governed by selfishness. It's governed by the knowledge of Christ and letting the word of God dwell in us in the way that we relate one to another. So the husbands are to love their wives, and they're also exhorted not to be harsh with them. That is, not to be embittered with them or incensed to anger against their wives in either their thoughts, their words, or their deeds. This may have been a common uh, reality that Paul feels the need to warn against. But harshness, hatefulness, threats are biblical terminology for the character and the tactics of abuse, and they have no place in the marriage covenant. But that warning reminds us that something that was designed for human flourishing can also be twisted by our sinful hearts into something poisonous. This shows us the problem of our sinful hearts, but not the problem with the institution of marriage. How can we take Paul's words, the scripture's words about marriage seriously in our own day, where we see divorce, where we see people having open relationships, where we see people that don't want to be committed, see nothing greater than themselves? How can we see marriage as something important when we see so much uh, shortcomings in it? Paul is directing us to think in light of Christ, not living selfishly, not living suspiciously, but rather letting the word of Christ dwell in us. When we know what God has done in Christ, we can see an aim greater than the sum of parts. We see an aim that is greater than my own comfort. Wives can show the glory of Christ, who is willing to submit to the Father in order to beautify the saints. Husbands can show the glory of Christ by sacrificing themselves to provide for their wives in order that they are presented in all their beauty. There's something uniting in that. The unity is the work of the Lord Jesus, the person of Jesus that shapes the way they live. Our culture has lost that foundation. What is marriage all about? Why should we hold on to it? Whether you're married or not married this morning, we should see marriage as something important because it's picturing to us the grace of God. A God who sent his son to lay down his life for his bride. A God who is committed to his church and a God who will beautify his church for eternity.